everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Your List, My Command. Uh, just as we promised, we're back right away with a new episode. I managed to herd the cats that are Derek into another recording. So Derek, thank you for making a long-awaited appearance back on your own podcast. I was going to say, he sounds like I'm a, I'm a guest. That's how he treats me. It's like... Uh, just to give a little insider here information, Dave said he was going to close this shit if I didn't record or not. So I have to treat um, you like a guest. Like I have to like. There's only two ways. There's only two ways to get you here. There's like insult you across many group chats, or there's like treat you like a diva and be like, Derek, please. Please come back to the recording studio. We need you. We need you for this podcast to continue. Otherwise, I'm just talking to myself. So, so I usually sounds like a, so usually, usually it's an either. It or. usually go with the insults. I mean, that's that's where that's my lane. That's that's where I'm comfortable. So you went with both. You brought up both the hammers. That's right. for this episode for this movie yeah. in particular. Yes, was it because because you've have you seen Murder on the Orient Express before? So I in another life. When I had pop culture case study still active, I did an episode on this when I did it paired with the more recent Murder on the Orient Express uh, that came out a couple years ago. Um, 2017. Yeah, 2017. I also have Wikipedia. Well done. Yes. yes. So it had been quite a while. uh, And then we were planning to do the show. So I watched it. And then uh, we got delayed and I watched it again. Um, and then you canceled again, so I watched it again, <laughs> and now I finally kind of get to talk about it. So I've watched hmm. it many times. I don't know how much I remember of it. This is no ordinary train. This is the legendary Orient Express, witness to many strange adventures and foreign intrigues. From Istanbul to Calais. This is no ordinary passenger. Monsieur Poirot is a detective. This is the world's most celebrated crime fighter. I take a professional interest in crime. Agatha Christie's brilliant Belgian detective. Oh, Belgians? I always thought you were French. Albert Finney is Detective Hercule Poirot. This is no ordinary mystery. Such nothing. This is Agatha Christie's most perfect crime. Murder on the Orient Express. Starring the greatest cast of suspicious characters ever involved in murder. The murderer is with us now. You can identify the murderer? Lauren Bacall. I mean nothing of the kind. I mean there was a man in my compartment last night. Monsieur. Martin Balsam. She did it. Don't stand, not kill. Ingrid Bergman. Jacqueline Bisset. He makes it sound like a poison. Jean-Pierre Cassel. Monsieur Hercule Poirot. Sean Connery. How did you know? Beddoes. John Gielgud. Mr. Beddoes. He did it. <laughs> the butler did it. Wendy Hiller. You never smile, Madame de Francis. My doctor has advised against it. Anthony Perkins. It seems like I'm kind of incriminating myself. Vanessa Redgrave. Not now. Not now. When it's all over, when it's behind us. Rachel Roberts. And I... Richard Widmark. 
me show you this. Michael York. He did it. The Who's Who in the Who Done It. Ladies and gentlemen, we now come to my own reconstruction of the night of the murder. Murder on the Orient Express. We'll find out. But what about you? Was this this had to be a first watch, right? Because I picked it for you from your list. Correct. And it's good to know that this is your Batman that you can watch. <laughs> yeah. Just God. going to bed while brushing. I have your teeth. no choice. That's fantastic. I have no choice, Derek. This is what you've you've brought me so low. Oh my god. You've watched you've watched this movie three times at least. Maybe in the past year yeah, or yeah, so. Yeah, three times in the last four months four times overall Man. four times overall so yes so this is my <laughs> my new favorite movie of all time apparently because i just keep watching it that's what you do with favorite movies right. you just watch over, it over and over over again. and over again yes <clears throat> uh so this is a first time watch for me and as you had alluded to um that is kind of the premise of the show and it is one that had add very similarly to some of the other films we've talked about had been on my list for a while. Um, <laughs> as silly as this is, it was a oh, I like that poster, and oh, it's a cool poster. Cool poster, yeah. It's a cool, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just about uh, to ask, that. like, why? I, I not like, yeah. No shame on anything that's on anyone's list. We've all got weird movies that maybe people haven't heard of or people wouldn't think of as lists of shame. But this surprised me. Not that you hadn't seen it, but that this was on your list of like, oh my god, I have to see Sidney Lumet's. Murder on the Orient Express, of all the movies that that man made, this is the one <laughs> of his movies that you're Nick. like, gotta check out that Agatha Christie story that's been told a thousand times. I've read every one of her Don't books, lie. Uh, that's Don't lie. Not a single don't one. Lie. Not a single... Just, uh, not, I will, not my wife I will has, just say, I have not. I will just say, don't read Ten Little Indians. That might not be great. Do you know the story behind that? I, I do not. Well, they changed the title of it to Ten Little Indians from Ten Little... Edwards. So maybe avoid oh, okay. that one. Just <laughs> I wasn't really surprised. I, that I'll say this: after watching this movie, uh, wasn't really surprised mm. to to know some. Not that this movie is like <laughs> um, Birth of a Nation or anything. <laughs> uh, but you know, when I was, I always do that. Like uh, I, I, you know, went to her Wikipedia page and they're talking about how she's one of the you know the um, greatest authors of our time, whatever. And I was like, yeah, hey, I bet she's never written about non-white characters. Well, that was just my yeah. first thought, and maybe she has, but not in the way but... really you would want. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, she's certainly. Exactly. I don't know about greatest. She's certainly prolific. I'll give her that. She wrote a lot when it comes to the it's like Will Chamberlain. Power. Yes, yes. Of these quantity of, uh, mysteries, not necessarily quality is what we're saying. Yes. Um, so as you, I, I found myself wondering as you sat down to watch this. This is not. This is so much a seventies movie in terms of, especially in terms of pacing. I think mm. in the 70s, we were much more comfortable with slower-paced stuff, whereas now, if a movie does... And I think it's because we're in the age of streaming and everything else and sure. fucking just shiny pictures everywhere and strobe lights flashing when it comes to our media. If it doesn't Here grab us... Marvel attack. Yeah, I mean, if it doesn't grab us in the first 10 minutes, it's like, right. who cares? And this will be like... there's so, Even the opening credits, there's so much setup. Like, because... And it's actually, I think... I don't know what you think, but I think it's a very clever way to hide exposition 
is to put it in mm. the credits, and then we're going to reference this stuff later. So it's not like there's just someone standing. So let me tell you about the history of this case. Like, no, it's done here in, like, newspaper clippings and flashes of images right. here. So what did you think about kind of the setup to everyone kind of getting on the Orient Express? That was fun. It didn't, you know, to the point, and <laughs> right, great podcast material. It worked, I guess. I'll say this. It, it wasn't something that, at least on this you know, first watch, that um, I had a moment of pause. Like, well, this this is this is a great way of setting up the story. Or, oh my gosh, this this taking me out of it. It was just, okay, it's, this is fine. Let's get to the story itself. You, you speak to this idea that, you know, a lot of films from that particular era um, – have no issue with kind of not really stretching things, but just allowing a lot of marinade. Yeah, letting right? it breathe. Like yeah, totally. Letting it breathe. And for the most part, because I've, I've talked before, um, even when I first really got into podcasting, how much I love like the new Hollywood period and a lot of films from the, from the seventies that really, you know, from just from that era itself. Um, I, I just love it. Right. Late sixties, throughout the mid to late seventies, all the way up to, you know, deer hunter apocalypse and all that kind of stuff. And so I, Somewhat accustomed, despite my my age, I guess you could say, uh, I'm somewhat accustomed to allowing that to play itself out in film. Um, most of the time, <laughs> most of the time. And so, uh, if that tells you anything, when it gets to some of the pacing stuff in this movie, um, there are moments for me. There are moments that that it kind of loses me a little bit, and um, and you know, obviously I'll go into specific detail in a second. But there are those moments where I'm like, okay, I didn't need that, mm. or wow, is this the third act? Oh God, it's forty five minutes. Okay, long. okay. I'm so glad you brought that up. So I I don't know if I like this or I just respect it that the like the last mm. forty minutes yeah. of this movie is like Poirot pontificating about asking not even asking questions just giving a gigantic monologue do you know the type of balls it takes from a director to be like you know what we're gonna do in the last 40 minutes you all are gonna fucking sit here and look surprised and this weird belgian guy is gonna talk at the camera <laughs> for like the almost the last half of the movie it's probably the last third where it's just everyone's oh, gathered yeah, and he's gonna tell you what's going on and i was like and granted, I'm sure the book is written that way, but I was just like, wow, they are really taking their time with this. So, so I watched this on Prime, and mm -hmm. not that I was itching to get through with it, but I was looking to see how much left do I have. Mm -hmm. And so I hit pause real quick, and I saw, I think, an hour and 45 minutes of the, I think, uh, was it two hours and seven minute runtime, something like yeah. that. And that's when uh, Perot kind of, you know, herds everyone, right, right, all together. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're doing this now? Like, they're doing, wow, there's there's literally, there's 45 minutes left. And so my thought was, this must be the longest, like, end credits ever. <laughs> because there's, there, it, it has to be the case. He solves this in 15 minutes. Surely, nope. to God, they nope. wouldn't be in here for 40 minutes um, kind of unraveling this case. And um, I was wrong. <laughs> Uh, I was very, very wrong about that. And, you know, to that point, at, I'm trying to think at what point I started saying, okay, this is too much for me. 
Uh, I don't know if it was after. Okay, so he gives like the first outline of of <laughs> how he could perceive what the case was and who who did it, right? In the who done it, um, and that's fine. And then when he goes, or on the other hand, here's how it really could be. I'm like, okay, here, this is great. This is really awesome. Um, <laughs> but then it really just goes back to providing us with the conversation he had with each one of them uh, for a full span of like five to seven minutes, and that was a little bit too much for me. Like, if you cut that down by 10 minutes um, or more, I'm way more invested in the ultimate outcome sure. of what we know to be true. I think one thing we really have to bring up, though, because I, I agree with you somewhat on the pacing. I think the the performances kind of carry me through. Uh, I think they're interesting enough to, like, hold my attention. But, yeah, I definitely, like, as I'm watching it, like, probably about 20 minutes into that 40-minute diatribe, I'm like, Okay, enough of the silly fucking accent. Enough of the fucking... Can you just tell us what fucking happened? Like, I'm ready. I'm ready for this to be over. This has been enjoyable. But, so the cast. So you got Lauren Bacall, Ingrid Bergman, Jacqueline Bissett, Sean Connery, John Gielgud, Anthony Perkins, Vanessa Redgrave, Michael York, and Albert Finney, who I, I know that Albert Finney has had this wide, massive career. But I only know him from his older, or his, his more recent work, right? His work as an older actor, like things like Big Fish, and I think he was in one of the Jason Bourne movies. So it's very interesting to see him in a younger role in the 70s. And all I kept thinking as I was watching this is like, I wish, I wish Hollywood would let its leads be this fucking weird all the time. This was so, like the, because like, so I watched the the more recent Poirot, the more, you know, with Kenneth Branagh with his ridiculous facial hair, it's out of control, but he's still kind of cool in that role. Like he's still kind of above it all. This Poirot is not, he's fucking weird. He's hard to like. He's, you get to see how he gets his mustache to do that. And you're like, what is going on right now? What are we doing with his voice? The way he carries himself, the way he interacts with people who respect him is weird. The way he interacts with people who hate him is weird. I just, I absolutely love the performance by Albert Finney. Like he just really goes for it. And you don't really see name actors do this anymore. Like, we're so focused on kind of being cool and removed that we don't get weird performances like that. That's for secondary characters. Like, we we all know you love the Batman. We let Paul Dano do shit like this. Here we go. We, and, and to a level, Robert Pattinson, because he's done his, his share of indies, right? But you're not yeah. going to see Brad Pitt act like this. You're never going to see it because the whole thing with Hollywood is just be cool, be removed, be above it all. And I love that Finney just is not any of those things in this performance. It just really goes for it. So a, a couple things. Uh, the, I, I guess the first thing, um, when you think of like Daniel Craig in Knives Out, is that the closest we would get? That's to... that's the closest. That, that but, he's still, is but, just... but he's still so charming. Like, it just, like, eh. Like, but is it because he's just better looking? I mean, I don't think, like he well, just, I don't think at this point in career, I don't think Albert Finney is bad looking at all. But they ugly him up for this role. Yeah. With the hair and the clothes and all that. Whereas, like, you know, Daniel Craig, he's got, like, the suspenders and the nice suit and all, all that stuff going for him. And he's got, you know, a ridiculous accent, but it's like a down-home 
fun accent where this is like almost unintelligible yokel accent it's almost a yokel almost almost it sounds a little like you actually you got a lot of daniel you got a lot of daniel craig going for you that's what people have said my whole life you have a lot of daniel craig yeah you You just look Uh, like he's like daniel craig with a real deep tan that is that mm, is yeah exactly um and contacts i guess yes Uh, yes the, the deep blue's gone there you go the other so the other thing, and I completely agree with you on the um, man, great cast, right? Yeah. You just like scroll IMDb, and you're like, oh my! I gosh. couldn't like, believe what? it when I first went to watch this movie the first time. I was like, everybody is in this. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that for me in the uh, first, and especially in the second act, is what I find to be so enjoyable is Perot's very peculiar interactions with. You know, all of these, all of, like Sean Connery, like Sean, Sean Connery, right? Yeah. Like in any scene Sean Connery's in, it's like, oh my God. I mean, that's Rock Hudson level in, in, imposing, right? Right. right. Um, but maybe that is also why I struggled so much with the third act, mm-hmm. because even though they're all still in the room, um, their presence really isn't like to the same degree. Like they're there. Yeah. But even like Sean Connery, like he gets kind of lost in the fray because it's Perot and there's only so much of Perot like that I, like, Again, the first twenty minutes when he when it's just him, uh, kind of walking all this story down, it's great. Uh, but you have all this power, the screen presence, right. and they they're because of the story, I guess. You know, they're not really tapping into it in those moments. It's not like a transaction in that interaction. Yeah, it's yeah. just very singular. And I was just thinking that it's a really good point that like all star casts are great, but no matter what story you're telling, there's going to be a point where you have these 10 amazing actors do fucking nothing. Just fucking sit there right. and look pretty in your pretty outfit and do not, and like widen your eyes a little bit and gasp or whatever, but that's it. And you have, I mean, like I said, like amazing actors, like award-winning actors, some of the best of their generation. And it would be like, if you were watching, like, you know, I think the, the star-studded comparison I always go to is, like, the Oceans movies, right? There's a bunch of stars in that. But right. Soderbergh never had a scene where, you know, uh, Brad Pitt and George Clooney are just sitting in the background doing nothing. You know what I mean? Just listening. Right, like, yeah. you don't do that because look look who you have. But I will say that in watching this and the Brana version, like, man, it's amazing what a great director can do. Like, Sidney Lumet has such control over the pace of this, like, and even the reveal of the train itself is, like, an epic moment in a relatively small, constrained film. Because by its nature, literally the whole thing is just going to be inside a train. Like, it is a murder on the Orient Express. Like, that is what we're doing. So you can tell he takes his opportunities to be like, okay, this is a visual moment I can actually use here. And I think that's also why we have all that stuff in the opening credits is you can you can almost feel Lumet being like, I'm not just going to make a fucking movie on a train, guys. Like, I got to I got to do something. I'm good at this. I don't know if you do. So I'm going to find a way to have these moments. And that reveal of the train. And there's a there's a bunch of sequences where you see kind of the outside and the train moving along. And even the scenes where the the snow piles up and they're moving everything sure. around. There's a cinematic quality to those moments that in the hands of another director would be extremely boring. Like it's just, it's a train going down a track. There's nothing to it, but in the hands of Lumet, you actually have something there. Yeah. That's your question. Um, <laughs> would there be, and I agree with, with your, your point on Lumet's direction here with regards to the, the casting. Is, is there 
any actor that you could think of that would be almost too large for one of the side characters. Like, if instead of Lauren Bacall, uh, you have Catherine Hepburn, would that take you out of the film at all, or would um, that matter to you? Not with that character. Because um, okay. I think that character is kind of larger than life and designed to be that yeah. way. Um, and Sean Connery is a fine actor, uh, but he's not, he's never been great. Like, he's just, that's not who he is. He's there for a masculine presence, right? He's not there. And apparently that was the the big fish to grab. Uh, I think Lumet said, if we get you, we'll get everyone else, mm, which is interesting. interesting. Yeah. Because I feel like if you got, like, a major actor in that role, like, not just, like, someone known to the public, but, like, a quality, phenomenal performer, I think yeah. I think it becomes much more of a challenge uh, for Albert Finney because he has to in every sequence. It's a really tough balance because in every sequence he has to dominate, but subtly. You have mm. to know that he always has the upper hand, even if he's not going to show them. You as the audience have to read the scene as if like he still knows it all. He still gets it all, and I think. I think that's why you have a lot of really good actors here, but really reserved actors like John Gielgud and Anthony Perkins, especially are like kind of known for subtlety and, and being right. removed. Um, and then you have Albert Vitti, like just hamming it up to the heavens, like just going really hard. But I do think other than that one character, I think if you have, uh, actors who are too big and too bold. Yeah, I think this kind of folds in on itself and it becomes just a competition of who can go biggest. Like you have right. to have an understanding. And this is why you have a great director behind this. You have to have an understanding that no one goes bigger than Poirot. Like, because if somebody does, it's a joke. It's like caricaturized right. almost. Like all these, if you have, instead of Anthony Perkins, you have, um, you know, Jack Nicholson in right. 1974 right. or whatever. It's exactly. Like, this is too big. Yes, this is yes. Too big. Like if you have right. Jack Nicholson, like Cuckoo's Nest Nicholson in this, you're like, yeah. okay, we got to throw this dude out the window of the tray. We can't, we can't have him here because it's way too much personality, right? And I think if to that point, and this is why I was thinking about the Hepburn, uh, Hepburn piece, to that very point, I think those particular characters, if they are that big, right, then it's like per Perot has to just be bigger than that. Right. And then it gets to the point where you're like, okay, I, <laughs> yeah. this is just, other than just him just being eccentric and peculiar and um, rightfully so smug. Right. Um, it, it gets to the point that this is just, this is too much like in the lane of comedy. Yes. And I think they, like you said, there's a good balance. And I was even going to ask you, like, if you had to slot this in a genre and folks would call it a, a, a murder mystery or I, I would say that there are, and I guess this is, I guess, part of a lot of, of this genre. And I'm somewhat ignorant to a lot of it. Mm -hmm. There has to be like this undercurrent of, of, of comedy, even black humor, like, right? Like, I mean, underneath. I, I would say it's an out and out comedy. Like, I think it's okay. truly a comedy. There are darker elements to it. It is about a kidnapping. It is about a murder. But, like, right. at every turn, there are jokes in this movie. Like, there's there's not even a five-minute span of this movie where there's not, like, a jab or a wisecrack. Like, this is absolutely a comedy. Um, and I think that's that why they have Poirot look like that, to cue you in that this is as serious as it, as it can get. 
this is just a weird little guy who happens to be really good at solving crime. Like, it is absolutely a comedy to me. I will say I laughed pretty heartily at the, the, I can't remember what character said, um, asking what someone was reading a book about, and he's like, what's it about? And he's like, that's it's about 1030. Like, shut the hell up and let me go back to what I was doing. It's a great I'm like, joke. I'm using that. I'm, I've never heard someone use that before. I am stealing yep. that immediately. It's solid. Absolutely. Um, and I think the, the kind of largesse of these characters, I think, is why Ingrid Bergman is so good here. Because she's a, it's a very minimalist performance from her. And I think she was either nominated or won an Academy Award for this performance, which is like... I believe she won yeah. Best Supporting Actress, yeah. Which you just don't see in a movie. Like, imagine if, like, you know, uh, what's what's the more recent one? Not Murder on the Orient Express, but Death on the Nile. What if someone, Nile, what, yeah. what if, like, Gal Gadot got nominated for an Academy Award for that performance? Like, we would, we would cackle at the idea of this. But Ingrid Bergman in this is so, she has a great performance here because she is designed to feel fragile through the entire film, kind of until the end, until the wrap up. And you realize, oh, there's something more behind her character here. And I think it's just kind of a phenomenal graded performance here that we get from her where everyone else is like very much kind of a stereotype, right? Like even the, you know, even John Gilgood is like very much playing up the kind of British butler. Like that's very much what he's doing here, but she's got a little bit more to her. Um, and I really appreciate that performance. And I'm glad in the seventies that the Academy actually awarded, uh, performances that were worth it. Unlike now. Could you imagine if when they remade it in 2017, they had cast Annie McDowell. I I mean I can't imagine that because if, about, because if that were true I never would have watched it. I mean that's I'm just saying talk about walking uh, with uh, all the awards they might just give her be- they might give her best picture for that <laughs> best picture. It doesn't matter uh, you're the worst but thank you for bringing in movies that we've covered so if you'd like to hear Derek go. talk much more about Andy McDowell we did do an episode on Sex Lies and Videotape which you will enjoy very very Is that much. our first one. On a side note, was that our first one? Uh, it was either that or the cook, the thief, uh, his wife and her lover. They were one and two. Um, one and two, yeah. yeah. So one of them was a was a was a good choice. The other one was Derek's. So what what can you do? <laughs> like every episode, my God, that's right. Oh, Just oh. breaking my arm, pat myself on the back as per usual. So <laughs> you want to know this- something stupid uh, for me, real quickly? Oh, I love it. Already. Uh, because I had not read the book before, obviously, I, I didn't know the story, and I was purposely, as stupid as this is, in 2022, I'm trying really hard, like, oh, Derek, don't spoil it for yourself, don't find <laughs> out who the, that it was the butler who did it, like, don't <laughs> let you, don't do this to yourself, uh, even though you, you're wanting to just, because you can't help it, you want to know a little bit about, you know, how the casting went, all that kind of stuff, um, I, I found myself in moments, like, very upset that all of these characters were connected to this Armstrong family, mm. Because, you know, until obviously the climax and we found out that they're all working together, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I was like, oh man, this is, what a stupid story. <laughs> what are the chances? Oh, all they're all on the trade. The... What a coincidence. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, I didn't, I didn't have the, the, you know, the, the awareness to think, like, maybe there's a reason they're all together. <laughs> right. I was like, man, that Agatha Christie, maybe it's she just really not a piece of shit plot. story. Maybe, <laughs> maybe there's a reason behind this. Yes. It's oh like they got Ingrid that. Bergman, you know, teaching the 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 brown kids, and but she still, still knows. That there part, we go. I, uh, can't, we, we, I can't pinpoint why, but that part 
makes me very uncomfortable. Like her talking about caring for all the brown and black children. Like it's something about it that I'm like. Uh, I think it was the matter of the matter of fact tone, and that there's that you can sense that her expression of that very fact does isn't going to come with anyone on that train at all. Having like a wait, are you sure you should say that? Like that, right, that's right, just right. the status quo of the like the white man, white woman's in this particular situation, the white man's burden, right? Right. Like right. that's what that was, and so for her, it was just like you know, I took care of the you know, I, they they were like kind of like me. I was I was kind of trash, and I just kind of helped whatever she says. <laughs> they lean into it the first time. I was like, wait, I'm, you know, I look up from whatever book I was actually reading at the time. <laughs> wait it was a minute. And I was like, yep, sounds about right. And then I flip a page, and then they bring it up again. I'm like, oh, leaning into oh, this Oh, we're again, just huh? you're just gonna keep doing that, okay? Yeah, I love the fact. But um, I love the fact yeah. that when this stuff happens, this this is how it always happens when we talk about this stuff. That I'm always like, oh, and you're like, yeah, it sounds about right. Like that's <laughs> welcome to my life, motherfuckers. Like this is. <laughs> I just, a, a movie called The Orient Express. I was like, well, yeah, fair yeah, enough. There's, some, there's somewhere along the line. There's going to be gonna, some questionable shit in here. I know it. Something that, that's normalized for the folks on that train is not normal for everybody else. That's okay. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's so funny, though. We're definitely on the, despite the fact that you keep avoiding recording with me, we are still on the same page because right before you launched into the last thing you talked about, my next question was going to be about the ending, about what you thought about this. Because this has become, like anyone who like really into mystery novels or even mystery films, like this is one of the most well-known endings because it is it feels like especially if you read mystery novels it feels like a cheat it feels like because it's setting you up who did it who done it as you said who possibly could have done it and you go oh it's this guy oh no it's this girl oh maybe it was him it's fucking all of them like just just all of them it's just a cop out it's fucking all of them so people have two very different reactions to this ending they either have the i'm annoyed because it was everyone or like oh what an interesting way to tie this all together so which side or maybe somewhere in the middle where did you fall on this ending what was your reaction to it here's why i was shocked right to and I'm, this is this is believe it or not going to actually answer your question for once uh, i was shocked i'm excited i thought right <laughs> I, well, I thought this is one of the the genesis right uh, one of the early um, you know, whodunit kind of storylines to, to make it to film. And so, Did you just make a Bible reference, by the way? This is the genesis, the beginning. <laughs> well, and then they made a great exodus off the train oh. together. I mean, what? <laughs> Excellent. Well done. Well done. Uh, I'm sure I'll make an Orpa reference at some point. But uh, anyway, so <laughs> they, uh, my assumption would be, of, co- of course, there has to be uh, one, one particular person that, that caused all this. There's not going to be a lot of like, uh, oh, actually it was this, or actually it was this person. Gotcha. Because I assume that comes with, with films that, that kind of build off of this. And now we have to up the ante or now we have to confuse the viewer. Or now we have to, to go in a different direction where you're not expecting this thing to happen. Right. So I didn't think that would ever be the case with this film. Cause I was like, Oh, it's going to be cut and dry. It's very clearly the maid did it or something you know, sure, like that. Sure. Very, very clue esque. Um, and so when I, <laughs> after about 38, minutes and 47 seconds when Perot finally says actually it was every one of you instead of having the I'm I'm shocked it was like oh really it's all mm-hmm. of them it's kind of it's kind of lame kind of like in that cop outy kind of way do you think you would have ever would you have had that reaction if like that was the first story that Poirot told um 
That's a great question. Actually, I don't know. Hmm. I, I honestly don't. I will say this, though. The fact that Perot gave them, uh, or essentially gave the option of the, and you know what? Because that Ratchet Bastard, and I love the fact that his name, that his fake name was Ratchet uh, in 2020 uh, optics here. Great. But, um, I love the fact that he was like, you know what? I, from a moralistic perspective, uh, this this should be cut and dry. However, it's not. It's the stealing the apple to feed your family. Mm. Kind of, kind of, sort of, right? Like there, if sure. there's ever going to be a moment in which this is justifiable, perhaps the you know this this the stuff that Ratchet has done is is going to fall in that vein. And so when he gave them the option, I actually was immediately bought back into the conclusion. Like I went from like, okay, mm. this is kind of a cop out. Let's just follow the normal trend where I guess. They all go to jail or because there's 12 of them. Why don't they just kill no, Perot? Right, right. Like, is that, is, <laughs> is he a Billy Blank's badass we just didn't know about? There's our old school reference. Like, <laughs> like is there, there's something stopping them from just, from just stabbing right. him 12 times and just walking off and be like, we don't know what happened. <laughs> um, but he gave the option and the fact that, that the decision was, you know what? No. No, we have enough of of uh, a um, you know, second story we can play off of to where all these folks can go on with their lives, and Perot just kind of goes back into the background. I loved that, right? And that yeah. actually made probably made um, what I didn't love about the movie. Right, those those forty minutes it made up for it for me. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I am very disappointed in you that at no point during this discussion about him telling his story that you did not call it a revelation because that really would oh my god hammered that oh yeah yeah that's right that's right listen you you nor i should be judges here (laughs) Ah, nice 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 yeah there you go (laughs) and there are many great acts in uh in this performance i can do this all day i was raised catholic sir we can we can play this game if you really want to this will be the last Sydney Lumet film that I. Damn it! I was gonna say saw, but then I was like, "Wait, that sentence doesn't make yep. any fucking nope. sense." Nope. Nope. Lean into my Kentucky. I can say that. Yes, that's, that's right. This will be the last film I saw. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah, you can make that work. All right. So overall, I'm I'm a fan of this movie. Like, I don't love it, but like, it's the what I don't three times in because of you twelve hours because of you. <laughs> um, but it's it's also a movie that like. The only times I've ever watched it are for podcasts, right? Yeah. But every time I end up, quote unquote, having to put it on, I'm always kind of like, oh, this is fun, though. This is fine. It's a totally harmless film, and it's well-directed. It's well-acted. There are lulls here and there. But I I kind of I kind of adore that this movie was so critically acclaimed. Because, like, I can't imagine anyone making an Agatha Christie movie now that would be like critically acclaimed. I don't, unless like, I don't know, unless Scorsese decided to do an Agatha Christie movie, sure. then we have to, by law, think it's great no matter what. But like, it's almost unimaginable to me. And I, I kind of yearn for the days of like the seventies and eighties where directors could just like make whatever crosses their desk next. Like, eh, I'm going to do this Agatha Christie thing. Like you could never imagine a well thought of director. And I think, even if they did, they get all this backlash. I mean, look at like Barry Jenkins, right? Who did, you know, Moonlight and Beale Street. 
and now he's going to do a Lion King movie. And the, the internet was like, fuck you, Barry Jenkins. How fucking dare you get paid for making this piece of shit? Like, we lose our fucking minds. So it's like kind of this nice bygone area, era where you're like, oh, right. you can just make this this interesting comedy mystery. And, it's, and it can still be kind of fun. So this is not going to be a movie that's like, oh, it's one of the best movies of the 70s. But it is a movie that if I put on, I'm like, oh, this is pleasant enough. This is fine. And, like, I think we judge things too harshly. And Pleasant Enough is, like, that's a good movie. That's I like a movie that's pleasant. I like a movie I enjoy my time with it. Not everything has to be the best movie you've ever seen. It could just be a nice time, a good way to spend a couple hours. It's good. Well, sure. (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) I agree. Also, I, I, I didn't watch this film thinking... Man, this is a waste of my time, right? Right, and there have been times in which you know, like Cinema Paradiso, like like that. Of course, exactly, exactly. That's a you know high bar. Um, <laughs> however, you 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 Brian, you Brian, good <laughs> one. I, I joke about it one time, and it comes yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you brought up a good point, um, and that was you know a film coming out in whatever seventy four uh, that experiences critical and commercial success. Along with other films like The Godfather One and Two, and The Conversation and The French Connection, um, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense when you really think about it. Like you have all these juggernauts of right. the era mm-hmm. that are talking about really dark themes, right? They're exploring things that that no one had really been allowed to do for decades mm-hmm. in cinema, and for this to have been released, and for folks to be like, you know what, jolly good show. Or whatever they said, um, <laughs> is maybe a testament to. <laughs> is that what they said in the seventies? Jolly good show. Uh, Are we in Great you know, Britain? Maybe in the seventies. Maybe they. Okay, were John Gielgud, calm down. I don't know who that person we is just... in this film. Uh, <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm too busy keeping up with all the. That was the other thing, actually. Let me. I know we're about done, but let me just say this, and maybe this is why it deserves a second or third watch. Mm. There were moments when I was like, okay, so how is this person connected to which oh, this person yeah. in the Armstrong family? It, what, like, the third is... time won't help you with that. I can guarantee okay. you. Like, okay. There's still these it, moments it, where you're like, eh, uh, they all know each other. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> Right. And I thought that I was expect, was really expected to understand almost the uh, the genogram here. Right, right. All and really that, all you, know, you have to this, know is that they all knew this guy. Like that's, they all that's knew it. this guy, and they were all personally affected by a particular tragedy. Right, that's his fault. And I think you know once the end credits roll, maybe a little bit later than I would have wanted, but once <laughs> they did roll, I was like, okay, I get it. Right, like this is that's not really the important aspect. The important aspect is all of these folks who are broken have come together uh, to at least in some way, you know, um, engage in some level of justice. Sure. So sure. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Perfect movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A plus, best movie of all time. Fuck the Godfather. Terrible. And Uh, and fuck Batman. Well, definitely that. Yes. Uh, So, Derek, what are you going to make me watch for our next episode? Have we talked about this yet? Yeah, pretty sure we have. Right before we started recording. Yeah. Did we really? Oh, we did. Mm. I don't remember, though. Honestly, no. Can I change it then? No. Or have you already watched it? No. <sighs> so I'm locked in. So we did talk about it, and it was a movie that I'm having you watch, right? Yeah, like, that's like, correct. That's where we're at. And I have, honest to God, already forgotten. And we may have a guest for that show. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> so 
Mike Dennison from all these other podcasts that he happens to be Including on. Including Off Screen Death. That's the one you should listen to. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Because uh, The Grand Gesture is dead. We were watching his favorite film with his favorite actor. A man he has spent his whole life idolizing his personality after. <laughs> yes. Uh, that being William Hurt. Uh, William R. Hurt, the R is for rapist, her Dave, uh, and the movie is Broadcast News. Yeah, so I'm actually um, like, I mean, yeah. all that horror, horrific news aside, um, I'm actually very excited to watch this movie. This is this is one, like, the whole show is about our list of shame, but this is right. very high on my list. Like, it's one of those, like, everyone who's a big fan of movies who finds out I haven't watched this is always like, what? How? How? How did you miss this one of all the ones? I'm like, I know. So I'm very excited to finally cross that off the list. I'm sure Mike likes it, so I'm sure it's a piece of shit. But I'm excited <laughs> to actually watch it. So Like Mike and William Hurt. <laughs> yep, Real that's right. Piece of shit. <laughs> that's right. So that's what we'll be talking about next time. Uh, but until then, you can find me on Twitter at DarnThatDave. You can find Derek on Twitter at DayStew. And you can find our podcast on Twitter at Your List Pod. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon.